0: Let's uh, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn with me, if you would please, to Revelation and chapter two. <coughs> Revelation chapter two. If you don't have access to a Bible in front of you, there are some up the back. Please avail yourself of those. <clears throat> Feel like as you're turning there, we've already had a feast of truth from what we have uh, sung this morning. Uh, and heard in the scriptures already, but more to come. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. If you would follow along as we read through to the end of verse 29. Revelation 2, verse 18 to 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works. Your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter work succeed the first. But I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed. Heavenly Father, as we begin in this new church, in this passage of scripture, as we continue studying through them, Lord, we pray for wisdom, for insight. We pray for understanding into the text that we would understand exactly what it is you'd have us to learn today by way of application, that we would understand the historicity, the context of what is being said here. And we thank you that we have before us letters from... The Lord Jesus Christ to actual churches, uh, and how much we can learn from them. So help us, we pray, uh, in this next little while uh, as we study together in Jesus' name, Amen. So I'll have you uh, look up the front again uh, at the PowerPoint for uh, our first portion by way of introduction. For those who have not been with us, we are uh, going through a series called Correspondence from Christ, and uh, they, these are the letters. Uh, to the seven churches, and so far we have already looked at Ephesus, we have looked at Smyrna, and last time we looked at Pergamum. Today we move on to Thyatira, and we have Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea yet to go. And uh, again, if you've seen these, uh, this will be why, by, by way of review. But the uh, Apostle John is the one who has received this vision, this basically the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's at this present time on Patmos, banished because of his work for the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we have this letter from the Lord Jesus Christ uh, written down by the Apostle John and sent to the church at Thyatira, as you see on the map in front of us here. And I just want to give you a quick uh, summary of uh, the recipients to put us into the picture here. We've mentioned this before, but the direct recipient of this letter is the angel of the church in Thyatira, We've already discussed that, in my opinion, I believe that deals with the leadership of the church there, the one who is called to lead, pastor or shepherd that flock in Thyatira. We are not given a great deal of information about the church at Thyatira, but I would have you quickly turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 16. And in Acts chapter 16, we get an insight into what is possibly the means by which this church began. Acts chapter 16 Beginning in verse 11, it's the Apostle Paul on his journeys. Acts chapter 16 and verse 11. Luke records for us, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samatrica, or however you say that, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Let's just go back to Revelation, so we're back in the text that we'll be looking at. But you'll see in that passage of Scripture that this particular lady, who is at Philippi at the time... Um, became a Christian along with a group of other people. Now, whether or not that was the beginning of the church at Thyatira, because she then went back home and told people, we don't know. But that's the only other place in the Bible that we read of someone from Thyatira uh, coming to know the Lord and then possibly being involved uh, in establishing the assembly there. Only mentioned here in the book of Revelation, but quite possibly as a result of Lydia's household. The city of Thyatira... It is one of the the smallest of the seven cities listed in Revelation. So of all those seven letters, this is, if you like, the smallest area. It's hardly a city, but it is still called a city. And yet it has the longest letter. It was located about 45 miles southeast of Pergamum in Asia Minor on that map you saw before. Very famous, both in the Bible and in secular history, for the production of textiles and, ex- and especially the production of purple dye, which was extracted from the matter root. Okay? This lady was a seller of purple. And the reason why was because in Thyatira, that's where it came from. It was a major uh, part of their textiles and production there. Unlike, you remember, Pergamum was on the top of a hill. Remember that big, beautiful place with looking out on uh, all kinds of uh, the land and the region? This is very much the opposite, uh, situated on a very level plain. But one historian describes this city as an open, smiling vale bordered by gently sloping hills of moderate elevation. It's a beautiful place still, but nothing of the glory and grandeur of our previous place, Pergamum. A couple of other quick thoughts for us. Again, just to put us into the picture here. The city of Thyatira, a modern-day picture there, unlike Smyrna and Pergamum, Thyatira lacked an acropolis, meaning simply that it didn't have a fortified part of the city, which made it very, very open for uh, those to come in and destroy and rebuild it. And that happened repeatedly uh, since the founding of that place by Alexander the Great's successor or successors. Thyatira, most notably, out of everything, Uh, was known for its guilds or, if you like, labour unions that we might say today. They had incorporated associations that owned property uh, and uh, they would enter into all sorts of construction projects and this is a very commercialised area. Previously, we looked at major religious areas. This is a commercial area uh, and they were engaged in much production. Thyatira was not considered an important religious city. However... Thyatira did host a major cult to the pagan god Apollo, who is the sun god and the son of Zeus. So they still had a a big part in their religious deity and worship uh, of this sun god. The great pressure to put us into the picture today for Thyatira and the Christians there came from the guilds, the associations and the incorporations, if you like, because to hold a job or run a business, you must be a member of one of these guilds. And each guild, of course, had a pagan deity associated with it. They had feasts associated and they included meat sacrifice to idols, as we read in the text, sexual immorality and idolatry, which was just common all the way through any of those sort of things in the Roman Empire. The church in Thyatira were faced with the question of whether they would engage in the sinful practices of these guilds or risk losing their jobs and livelihood by opposing them. Not something we face a great deal of today in our country, but in plenty of places they do. Thyatira was such a place. And so as we look at this church together, the, uh, the text informs us that sadly this was the tolerant church. And I don't mean tolerant in a positive way this morning. And so join me as we look at the text together here uh, in Roman, uh, Romans, in Revelation chapter 2. And verse number 18. And it says here to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. The first thing, as has been in all of our studies thus far, I want you to see the designation of Christ. The designation of Christ. Let's just pause for a moment and just remember, church, this is a letter from Jesus Christ. It's not a letter from an apostle, not that we're saying different, Scripture has different um, value, but this is quite an amazing situation, a letter from Jesus Christ to a local church. And look at his designations. The very first thing that he says here, the words of the Son of God. This title, this designation speaks of power and authority. Power and authority. This emphasizes his deity, his sovereignty over the church. In fact, this is the only time in the entire book of Revelation that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God. Now, we... We love the titles of Christ. We look at them in our communion services at the moment. We love all the the, the variances and, and all the different meanings associated with them. And probably, if you're like me, you really love the title Son of Man. And the reason for that is it speaks of his humanity. It speaks of his empathy towards us as a high priest tempted like as we are yet without sin. And we rejoice in that fact because it's a wondrous truth that we read of in Hebrews 2. But in this case, he is not called the son of man, as is so often the case. He's called the son of God. The full weight of his authority and judgment. Sadly, this title is not put in here as a comfort. It's put in here as a concern. You say, why is that? Well, let's continue through and you'll see why. In speaking of this incredible individual, Jesus... He refers to himself not only as the son of God, but one who has eyes like a flame of fire. Here is a type. Here is a reference to his piercing, penetrating vision concerning the church. The flame of fire speaks of burning indignation and purifying judgment. We need to remember that this Jesus that we love so dearly and is so important to us is also God and he pierces with his eyes to every category of his church. He is not unaware of our circumstance. He's not unaware of where we are or what we do. Everything is before his piercing, penetrating eyes. And so, beginning this letter... As the Son of God, with eyes like a flame of fire. And then next, the Bible says, his feet like burnished bronze. This depicts his swift and holy judgment. That he will bring upon his church. His strong feet will stamp out all impurity and iniquity. Unlike some of the other churches where the Lord Jesus comes to them uh, in such a way that he encourages and builds them up. In this case, he is coming to this church with judgment on his mind. Because this church is in dire straits when it comes to sinfulness. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze. These designations and descriptions of Jesus Christ here in this letter ought to invoke within us a holy fear. See, sometimes we get off on the wrong foot as churches. Sometimes we go one way or we go the other. Sometimes we are so thrilled with the concept that what a friend we have in Jesus And that's true and that is a wondrous truth and we can sing that song but on the other side of that we still have a righteous and a just Jesus who is concerned for his church. And it is Jesus who says it must begin in the house of God where things get cleansed out. And so we have two wonderful sides to this same individual who is uh, gracious and merciful and and full of love. But he is also full of justice and he is concerned for a church that is pure and holy. And in this letter, we see more of that side of our Savior coming through. We often forget the holiness and the justice and the bringing of swift judgment and discipline upon the church that dishonors his holy name. We need to be very careful, don't we, here as well, that we don't rest upon the laurels of our citizenship in heaven. Sometimes we think about the fact that it's so wonderful that we have this salvation, and that is true, and we have our fire escape, for one of another term, but that is not sufficient in the sense that we must continue to strive for holiness. We must continue to be pure and love God with all of our hearts. Just because we have been rescued from eternal judgment does not mean that we can simply coast through our Christian life without actively striving for holiness. Let us not become complacent. Let us not become tolerant of evil like this church at Thyatira. Lest we, like them, summon the wrath and judgment of Christ upon ourselves and this church. The designations of Christ clearly stated here for a purpose. And it was for them to realize that this is a pure and holy God who is writing to them. But as he always does, our loving Savior secondly commends the church first. And we see here the commendations of Christ in verse number 19. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter work succeed the first. He's done this with Ephesus, he's done this with Pergamum, and he does that here with Thyatira. He commends the church for that which is good before raising concerns. What a gracious God. He could jump straight in, and don't we have a tendency to do that with one another? We jump straight into the issues that we have or the concerns without a thought of all that they have done for the Lord. And here the Lord Jesus, what a great example, says, let me commend you on some things first. Despite the severe warnings that are coming and the threat of the swift judgment, the Lord commends this church in five ways. Let me show you quickly. He says, Thyatira, you are firstly a loving church. I know your works, your love. And we say, as we know in the scripture, the heart of Christianity is love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Love is an essential ingredient in the church. And it was there. And it was good. And the Lord Jesus commends them for their love. But it's interesting to note that love alone is not enough. Because you have love does not mean that everything else is going well as we see here in this church. Interestingly, though, this church that is about to receive some severe rebukes and warnings was also the only church that is commended for their love. So just because we have love does not mean everything is lined up correctly. But love is essential. But secondly, we see that Thyatira here was a faithful church. I know your works, your love and your faith. Your faith by this, it doesn't mean their faith in God, but more their dependence and their reliability. This was a church that was faithful, dependable. If you wanted to set someone a task, you would set someone at Thyatira a task. This is a dependable church. And the Lord Jesus says, you are consistent. You are reliant. You are reliable and dependable. Thirdly, he says, Thyatira was a serving church. I know your works, your love, your faith, and then now your service. They weren't just a theoretical church. They didn't just have all their ducks lined up correctly. They were a working church. They were going about serving one another. They weren't just simply inward, but there was the outward expression of love. Love was taking action. And that's important in a church. And the Lord Jesus commends them for that. They were ministering to each other and to the community at large. And then fourthly, we see that Thyatira was a persevering church. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what exactly that they were enduring, but just like probably every other colony and city that had a church in it, they were enduring persecution, no doubt, trial, tribulation, the difficulties of being in a Roman empire with so many deities uh, and that which would uh, those who would seek to, bring about their tribulation. They were a persevering church, resolute in the face of sorrow and trial. And then lastly, we see in the commendation list here that Thyatira was a growing church. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. He says here, both in quantity and in quality, you are growing. Both in quantity of your works and the things that you are doing and in the quality of them. You're better now than you used to be, the Lord Jesus says. That's a good commendation. I hope that's true of us, that we are better now than we were back here. That we haven't stagnated in our growth. You've continued to grow, the Lord Jesus says. And so I guess at this point there's some room for application for us to consider some 2,000 years later, we meet together here this morning as Mount Cathedral Community Baptist Church. And we have to ask ourselves those same questions. Would the Lord Jesus commend us for our love? Would he commend us for being dependable and consistent? Would he commend us for being actively engaged in service for Christ? Are we resolute in the face of our trials and our tribulations? And are we growing and maturing so that where we were in 1999 with Ethel and others, that now in 2017, we are greater in quality and quantity in our works for Christ? Because that's what the Lord Jesus is after. And that is what he commends the church here at Thyatira. It'd be nice to just leave the message there and just, you know, call it quits for the day. But we can't because we see thirdly in our text the offences of Christ. The designations of Christ are wondrous. The commendations of Christ are appreciated. But there are the offences of Christ. He says here in verse number 20. But I have this against you. That you, follow, that you tolerate, excuse me, that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So many good things happening at Thyatira, but all is not well at Thyatira. Just pause for a moment and let it sink in, the words, but I have this against you. What a thought. I mean, it's one thing for someone to be up the front here. It's one thing for a pastor or an elder to stand here and say, you know, there's some things we need to work on as a church. And, you know, the Lord isn't pleased with these things. And we need to do this and that and so forth and and, and bark out some orders. That's one thing. But imagine if the Lord Jesus walked forward and he said, Mount Cathedral Community Baptist Church, there's some good things here. But I have something against you. What a powerful statement. What a, uh, a cause for wake up. It certainly hit me as I thought about it in preparation for this message. What was the problem here? What, what's the problem here at Thyatira? They've got this the love and the faithfulness and the service and the endurance and, and the works and things are looking so good. What's wrong here? Well, what's wrong is that Thyatira has compromised the truths of God and they've tolerated evil. Within and God is not okay with that. And this word tolerate here, you tolerate that woman. It speaks of allowing one to do as they wish without any form of constraint. So it's not that they don't know. It's that they won't deal with it. It's not. Well, we didn't know that was wrong. It's we're not prepared to face this situation and deal with it. The church, though it was operating in love, had failed to uphold the truth of God and exercise church discipline on this occasion with a woman who symbolically is referred to by Christ as Jezebel. And that, may I say, is a big, big label. The Lord Jesus here refers to a particular person in the assembly whose name very likely is not Jezebel, but it is a type of the Jezebel in the Old Testament. And to understand this, you may not be familiar with Jezebel in the Old Testament. We're not going to take the time to read it, but let me just give you a quick summary of this lovely lady called Jezebel in the Old Testament. According to 1 Kings, Jezebel was the wife of Ahab, the king of Israel. She was the daughter of Ethbaal, which should give you an indication of perhaps her upbringing, Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. She was undoubtedly one of the most evil characters in the Old Testament who attempted to combine the worship of Israel with the worship of the idol Baal. She sought to stamp out all true worship of God and she influenced her weak husband to commit evil deeds and practices. She sought to kill Elijah, you might recall that, and she also influenced her husband to kill Naboth because she wanted her husband to take possession of a particular vineyard. In 1 Kings 21, so evil was Jezebel's character that she is singled out by the prophet Elijah for a very special prophecy and that prophecy regarding her bitter and sudden end and that her body would be eaten by dogs. 2 Kings nine thirty-three to 35, she is the epitome of subtle corruption and the symbol of immorality and idolatry in the Old Testament. This is this woman. I will never forget for the rest of my life going door knocking uh, with a, a pastor uh, in another state. And uh, we were uh, seeking to uh, share the gospel with people. And I met uh, we, the, the door open and a particular lady came forward. And, and you could tell that she was a lady of the world in every sense, both in tongue and how she looked and so forth. And we introduced ourselves, the pastor and myself. And, and I could not believe it because... When she introduced herself, she said, Hello, my name is Jezebel. And this is my husband, Adolf. I couldn't believe the combination of that situation. And immediately when we walked away, not that we were seeking to make judgment, but the pastor and I both said, Most certainly Jezebel by name and most certainly Jezebel by nature. Uh, That word, that phrase, that title that Jesus uses... For this particular church, they knew exactly what was being said. This is about as harsh as you will read in the scripture. And some of us like to think of the Lord Jesus as one who would never say anything negative. Many Christians think of this. The Lord Jesus is this person who would only ever say things that are positive. I'm not talking about sinful things, but I'm talking about calling black, black. I'm calling sin, sin. And here he refers to this wicked woman here at Thyatira as a type of Jezebel. Serious, serious label. But I have this against you, Jesus says. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols there's two sins that I see in particular at the church of Thyatira let me quickly mention them to you first of all I believe there is the violation of biblical teaching regarding the office of a pastor or a teacher I'll talk about that in a moment and then secondly this evil teaching which resulted in sinful activity Thyatira have failed on two levels I believe so firstly, we have this woman, by the way, just as an addition to what's not here in the notes. When you study it out, the original language suggests that the words here say the wife, Jezebel. And it is, it is believed in a lot of commentators, and I don't know this for sure, but in, in historical documents, that this was the wife of the elder. We don't know that. We can't say that for sure, but it's interesting how it's phrased in its original form. The wife, this wife Jezebel, possibly of the leader of the church. But this woman had assumed the mantle of prophetess and was teaching the church, despite the fact that some 30 to 40 years earlier, the Apostle Paul made it clear in 1 Timothy 2.12 that this role is exclusive to men as elders and pastors of a church. And so I believe that the first problem that has happened is they have allowed this particular woman to take a role that is not for her. This New Testament Jezebel was not a true messenger of divine truth. And the church's failure to understand and action the truth about her role had wreaked havoc on the church. That's the first thing. But then secondly, if it's not enough that she's assumed a role that is not hers, secondly, this vile woman is teaching that the people ought to engage in the evil practices of the day. It's one thing to have the wrong people in the wrong place, but it's another thing entirely to have that wrong person in the wrong place, teaching that which is evil and seducing God's people to commit grave sin. She was encouraging The people to participate in unholy activities and nobody was putting a stop to it. See, it's one thing for any one of us to fall into the sin of immorality or idolatry. And we talked about that this morning. And we do. That happens in church. Let's not not be unclear about that. It happened in 1 Corinthians 6. It happened in 1 Corinthians 10. And it will happen in church. There will be those who fall into sin of immorality and idolatry. And they need to be dealt with according to the scripture in a loving way. But it's an entirely different matter for people to be led into that by one who is a leader It's a very serious sin on a whole different level. And God will not withhold his righteous wrath and judgment from those who lead his people astray. Matthew 18, 6 to 10 talks all about that. It's a serious thing to lead God's people into sinful practices. And that is what is happening here at Thyatira. They know it and they're going along with it. They tolerate it. They're not standing Against it. Serious. Serious matter. This is how Jesus views this. That woman, Jezebel. But look at something that is amazing here. And I just love this here in this text. Fourthly, we're not just and only concerned with the fact that there's the commendations and the offenses. But I want you to see the grace and the justice of Christ. Fourthly. Look at what is said here in verse 21. I gave her time to repent. Just pause and stop and think. This is our savior yet again saying there is gross sin. There is sin that is so vile that my nature and all that is connected with me that is holy. I cannot tolerate this. And yet he still says I gave her time to repent. What a loving saviour, what a gracious saviour, what a merciful saviour who withholds his judgment for a time in order that people would repent because it is God's desire that we would repent. And we see it here yet again. He did it at the flood with Noah. He did it with Moses. He did it all the way through the Old Testament. He does it for us today. And he did it here at Thyatira. I gave her time to repent. Sadly, the next word, but... She refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. And we must come then to the justice of Christ. He says here, I'm going to throw her onto a sick bed. And all those who commit adultery with her, I'm going to throw into great tribulation. Unless they repent, I'm going to strike her children dead. These are serious words, aren't they? He's not, uh, he's not mixing his words here. And we need to be mindful that though our saviour is full of grace, it must not be abused. The grace of God must not be abused. There is a time when the grace of God must be exchanged for the wrath and the justice of God. And this time had come for Jezebel and all who followed her. Look at the divine judgment that is now promised and pronounced. I'll throw you onto a sick bed, great tribulation, and I'll strike her children dead. Now I'm not going to venture to say that I understand fully what the Lord Jesus meant here in this particular portion, what exactly he's referring to. To me, it seems that he is referring to physical death, that he is going to literally bring about physical death and extreme suffering to those who would engage in these practices, and they would be the just deserts for Jezebel and those who engage in the evil practices. But probably the greater truth I think we need to learn here is Christ's perspective of sin. How does God view sin? Not just that sin, but sin. It is so much the antithesis of who he is that even today as a church, though we love our Bibles, though we try to walk in the truth, we still don't really understand the holiness of God. And I confess that one of the things that while I have been away this last week, one of the things that I am asking God to help me with, which is a dangerous prayer, is, Lord, help me to understand your holiness. Help me to understand how you view sin and vile uh, affections and idolatry and immorality. and Give me that sight that I might live in accordance with your character. But the truth is, if we really come to understand the holiness of God... There's a lot of things that require amputation, a lot of things that need change. And for one, I often don't want to change. I often don't want to change. Those I love those fleshly desires and those passions. And, and my, uh, my natural tendency as a sinner is to go towards those. And unless I'm going to walk in the spirit, I'm not going to be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. But here we see how Christ views sin, how he sees it. And it is not excused under any circumstances. He inflicts discipline and punishment on believers who will not abide in the truth. Not to harm us, but to help us. Not to bring us down, but to elevate us into the position that we are supposed to be as his holy children. We note also that Christ's swift judgment at Thyatira will have a greater effect on the wider church. Look at verse 23. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. We read in Acts when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit and they died instantaneously at that moment in time, that fear spread throughout the churches. Now, I'm pretty sure that fear would spread throughout our church uh, if someone just upped and died. And we knew that the reason why they had died was because they had lied against the Holy Spirit. I think perhaps our week might change just a little bit. Uh, Our focus might change a little bit. And I'm grateful that we live in a, well, I think it's the same dispensation, but it seems that the Lord Jesus is not necessarily striking people down left, right and center right now. Perhaps he will. And it would change us. But here the point is that in doing this to Thyatira, I am proving myself to be the one who searches the mind and the heart. See, if you're like me, you can begin to believe that God doesn't really see what I do. God doesn't really know what happens in my heart. God isn't really aware of the lust or the the struggles or the jealousy or the anger or whatever the case might be or the worry that we face. You know, he sees what I do, but not who I am. But yet here he says, in disciplining my church, you will know, you will see that I am the one who sees all things. And I search the mind and the heart. Take a moment to ponder this, Christian, this morning at this very instant in time. Right now, the Lord Jesus Christ is intimately, acutely, comprehensively aware of every single thought of your heart. Right now. Whatever is going through your mind, whatever is on your plate this week, whatever is part of your goals and your visions and your plans for all that is ahead of you, both today and tomorrow and this week, he is aware of all of it. The sin that is unconfessed, the, the things that are going on in your life, the struggles you're having at home, the family issues, whatever the case might be, the joy that's in your heart, the worshipful attitude you have right. He is completely aware of that, and that is both fearful. And wonderful. Wonderful if it's as it ought to be. But here we see nothing can be hidden from the all seeing eyes of Jesus Christ. His penetrating gaze discerns the thoughts and intents as well as the deeds and actions of his people. Confirming once again, may I add, the deity of Jesus Christ. It is impossible for Jesus to merely be a human and discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. For those who would say to us that Jesus is but a man, it is an impossibility. Because no man can see your heart and what is on your mind. Then I want you to see here, and we're almost through, the commands or the command of Christ. Fifthly, he says here in verse 24 to 25, But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, you have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. Wonderfully, there is a remnant of godly people at Thyatira. There are those who are not engaging in these sinful practices. There may only be a few, but there are some. And the Lord Jesus directs his attention to them, not just to the whole, not to everybody. But now he zones in, zooms in on those who have not gone with Jezebel and not engaged in her practices. And now he says, for you, I have just one command. Hold fast. Keep going. Don't stop. Keep doing what you're doing. All the things I mentioned before, your love and your faith and your service and your endurance and your growth, he says, just keep on doing it and don't engage in that over there. And you'll be on it and I will bless you and I will continue to strengthen and help you. He says, just keep on going. And what an important truth that is, church. Just keep on going. It's easy to give up. It's easy to quit. It's easy to look around and say this is all too hard. And where is everybody? We get the Elijah syndrome under the juniper tree. We talked about it this morning and we say there's nobody left anymore. I find myself here often and I'm reminded in the passage here, just keep going. Keep going. Do what the apostle Paul says in Romans 12:9. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast. That which is good. And he says to those faithful at Thyatira, hang on tightly and don't let go. And he says, I'm coming back. Keep hanging on because I'm coming back at the end of verse 25. That's the command. So whichever category we find ourselves in this morning, whether there is sin that needs to be dealt with, then we better deal with that. Whether there is not sin that needs to be dealt with, then we just need the reminder to just keep on going. Both parties are taken care of in this letter. But lastly, I want you to see here from the mouth of the Lord Jesus, the promises of Christ. The promises of Christ. And he seems to do this at the end of each letter to give some pertinent, wonderful Glorious promises. Verse 26 The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This idea of the conquerors or the overcomers in the King James. I believe are simply Christians who endure to the end. I believe it is just simply those who are true believers and they demonstrate in the long run that they have overcome the world and the flesh and the devil. So if you are a Christian, you are a conqueror. The same author, the Apostle John in 1 John says, it is faith that overcomes the world. That is what makes you a conqueror. Your faith and that continuation in that faith, overcoming The world, the flesh, and the devil. But here are two precious promises to the overcomer. Firstly, he says, you have authority over the nations. And secondly, I will give him the morning star. Let's just take these two quickly before we finish. Authority over the nations. The overcomer or the conqueror will have authority over the nations when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to reign on the earth. In the millennial kingdom. This time is referred to, if you want to look at it sometime, in chapter 19 of Revelation and chapter 20, when the Lord Jesus comes to rule and reign on the throne of David. And what a time that is going to be. The righteous judge will be upon the earth. Satan is bound, and as believers, we will live and reign with him, not because of our merits. Not because of our wonderful works, but because we are his children. Because we are the children of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is not that we are worthy in any form or fashion, but because we are in Christ, that we shall reign with him. And he speaks specifically here of the ability to authority over the nations rule them with a rod of iron, not in that it's going to be a harsh rule, but in that it is a sovereign and dominating rule, which is because it's the Lord Jesus on the throne. And we have that authority as the Lord Jesus was given that authority from the Father that we read about in Matthew 28. And so there's that incredible concept. And if we had more time, I'd give you more on that. But the second promise here is not just authority over the nations, but the morning star. And in my opinion, this is the greater promise by a long shot. Some commentators have different ideas of what this morning star could refer to here. I will give him the morning star. Uh, Some say it's a special blessing, some refer to various different things. Uh, I tend to uh, try to understand these things as it relates to the Lord Jesus Christ, who in Revelation 22 says, I am the root and the descendant of David, I am the bright and morning star and so i believe the promise here is is a promise of himself you will have authority over the nations but if i can put in uh uh, in parenthesis here but that's nowhere near as good as what i'm about to tell you you will have the morning star you will have me i believe he says what could be a greater promise We have him now, but oh, to have him in that way on a level that we have never known him. Uh, Those who were blessed and privileged enough to see him when he came. But those of us who have trusted in Christ and have seen him from a distance and have trusted him by faith will one day see him face to face the bright and morning star. What a thought. What a privilege. What a promise for those who are the overcomers. And that promise is applied to us as believers too. Notice the closing words in this letter that the Lord Jesus says in verse 29. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. These are the same words he uses to close off every letter here. The Lord Jesus speaks of the Spirit who speaks to the churches who leads and directs the churches the call for us church still today as it was for thyatira is to heed the impulses of the holy spirit as he would lead us in various directions how essential is it for god's people to be driven forward by the spirit of god and not carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes just like Jezebel And what was evident at Thyatira. And so to close, what shall we learn from the church at Thyatira? Well, firstly, we learn that we need to continue in the aspects that please Christ. Love, faith, service, patient endurance, perpetual growth. Continue and grow in them. Secondly, we need to not tolerate evil and the unbiblical practices in any of its forms. We must stay true to God's word. We must be governed by this and the spirit of God. Thirdly, we need to hold fast to the truth until the return of Christ. Despite what tribulation will come and it is coming. And then lastly, we need to listen to the spirit as he speaks to the church may we not be a tolerant church in the sinful sense. God help us not to be. Our father, thank you for the time that we have been able to spend engaged in this particular study of your word. Thank you to the letter, for the letter that you wrote to this church at Thyatira that some 2000 years later we can read, see ourselves in the text, understand it uh, through uh, its context culturally, but also in our own uh, context here. Uh, And how we need to uh, live in a way that would please you, Lord. Let us not be tolerant of sin in our own lives, in our ecclesiastical or church life. Not because we're looking for ways to wound one another, but because we are concerned with the holiness and purity of the bride of Christ. Uh, Lord, may we always exercise anything that we must do by way of uh, seeking to uh, point out faults or offenses and seek to work with them. May we always do that in a way that is pleasing to you. Uh, totally encompassed in love with the, uh, the goal of restoration and never the goal of condemnation. But we also are so mindful of the fact that you are holy and we cannot, as you will not, allow us to tolerate sin. Help us, Lord, today even in our own hearts and lives as we conclude this portion of our service. Lord, to search our own hearts, to be searched by you and to have sin pointed out that we might put it right. Thank you for this time in this particular church's life, ours, and also Thyatira's. May we learn much from it in Jesus' name. Amen.